Yeah, it's really hard to be honest with you. Like for the most part, I haven't been to any gyms or anything. I've been training at home. It, it's hard, but at the end of the day, you got to stay ready and be a pro. Uh, there's no excuses for not being ready to roll when the season comes around. I'm not here to try to speak up for somebody because it's going to get me kudos, you know, or, or street cred. I do it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. I feel like you have to use your platform uh, in moments like these to try to in inspire change and really be the change that you want to see in the world, right? I'm always ready. I think you guys know that, right? I, I, whatever they need me to do, whether it's start 16 games, start a 19 game, you know, Super Bowl, whatever. Start a game against Pittsburgh Steelers when they need it. When they need to win, we gotta dominate. You know, whatever they need us to do, we get it done. <laughs>
Uh, there's no excuses for not being ready to roll when the season comes around. With these guys, these young guys, how much of a, a, a leap is it going to be to, I mean, I mean, you obviously remember when you were a young player uh, or when you join a new team and you have to learn a new system. Like for a guy like Duvernay or Prochet, they've never even been in the building. Like they don't even know where to go get lunch. And then they have to come in and figure out who their new teammates are, what the playbook is in actuality. It's one thing to see it, you know, in a Zoom call. It's another thing to see it in on the field. And then they've got to go out there and play and get ready. And, and who knows if there's a preseason, we're going to talk about all that. But how big of a leap it is, do you think it is for these young guys? Oh, I mean, I think it's a ginormous leap. And I've tried to explain that to them in my conversations with them. Um, it, it's one thing, like you said, to be on a Zoom call, to kind of listen to your coach. And then it's another thing to, to go out there and be on the field and be able to learn from your mistakes. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a very big disadvantage for all the guys that are coming into the league this year that didn't have an offseason. I think it's uh, – it's kind of understated how big of a disadvantage that is. But uh, what I try to preach to them is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when they show up, whenever it is time to go, they have to be ready. They have to show coaches uh, and the players that they can be counted on. And I think that's what we try to do. Uh, and the feedback I've gotten from them has been that, you know, the sessions that we've had uh, aren't just routes on air. You know, it's, it's also teaching them the concepts, teaching them how to run a certain route and how this route is run in the NFL. And uh, the feedback I've gotten from them has been great that they've been able to go through their playbooks now and kind of feel more familiarity with the offense that we're going to be running and how we're trying to attack defenses. So, you know, kudos to them for, for taking the time to work with me uh, and, and taking it seriously. I think it'll really benefit them when they get in. That's really interesting because that's something that we've debated. Like, is this the year where you can't really count on too much production from rookies you know I mean it kind of sounds like you would say yeah like this is the this is the year for the vets <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say that right <laughs> I am a vet <laughs> so that you know that <laughs> definitely benefits myself and invest like myself but um the way I would look at it is it just puts the onus on those guys to you know be ready honestly that you're not going to be spoon-fed anything uh, these coaches, they, their jobs are on the line every time we step out there on the field. They have to have faith and trust that the guys that are out there are going to make them look good, right? So it's you have very little opportunity um, in, in time because of, you know, the time constraints that we're under, and you have very little opportunity for mistakes. Um, so I think that's what I've kind of stressed to them. Know it like the back of your hand so you can go out there and put your best foot forward. Otherwise, if you come in thinking you have time to learn this this year, it's, that's not the case. Can, can you give us a little scouting report on DuVernay and Perche? Since, you know, at this point, we would have watched them at rookie minicamp, OTAs, minicamp. Can you give us a little, little insight on them? Hey, man, you know, my sources are telling me that uh, <laughs> DuVernay and Perche, both phenomenal wide receivers. I think both of them spend a majority of their time in the slot uh, in college. Um, but I wouldn't sleep on their ability to play outside. Um, DuVernay, obviously, track guy. Um, and we talk about this because I was a, a track guy as well. But we're football players who ran track. And I think that's how he kind of looks at himself. He's a tough guy, um, tracks the ball really well down the field. I think he's, he is fast, but he's, he's really fast. Uh, and Prochet, um, there's just something about the way he comes to work every time we go out there. And I think he's a lot faster than people give him credit for. Um, I think his 40 time. Uh, maybe injury was a reason that he that he fell in the draft. But going out there and watching him work, uh, the kid can fly. And he's got strong hands, so he has a desire within him to kind of prove everybody wrong. And I think you see that every single day, or at least I see it every single day when we go out there. So 
both guys phenomenally talented. And it really just comes down to them being able to showcase what they did in college at the pro level. And uh, so far, um, routes on air and, and working through the offense, uh, they definitely have what it takes, in my opinion, because I've worked with a lot of guys uh, and seen them transition from routes on air and shorts to pads. And uh, these guys can do that same thing. I think you're in for a treat. So part of this is a little bit contingent or to see these guys on training camp in the preseason. Well, it's very contingent on being able to actually get on the field and play football. Um, and so the preseason is an interesting situation right now because there's all sorts of talk about is it going to be two games is it going to be zero games and for for these rookies and even for a veteran like yourself like the the preseason for you has significant reps um so i'm curious like what is your perspective on the preseason do you want it do you think it's going to happen how do you look at the preseason yeah i would i thought he has sources yeah Yeah, well you do have sources we saw your tweet i do have sources Mm -hmm. (laughs) being tapped into that uh, has helped me be able to say some of those things on Twitter and, and feel confident about it. Um, I think that there's going to be significant compromise that has to happen for the preseason to to go forward. Now, for people who don't know, the NFL does have unilateral control over whether or not we have a preseason. That's not up to the players. It's not up to the PA. It is completely up to the NFL. Um, but from a player's perspective, we don't feel like um, there's enough time to have the preseason. Um, if we're saying, hey, we have 48 days from the start of training camp to the, the first game of the year, and that 48 days is significantly less than what we normally have because we didn't have OTAs this year. We didn't have mini camp. We didn't have the three weeks of, of just strength and conditioning for us with Steve, right? So players are saying, man, if I've been in my, my house, I haven't been able to get to a gym, and I've been doing banded push-ups and bodyweight squats for four months, how am I going to be ready to roll and play at the highest level? in the NFL in 48 days. So I think that's kind of where the players are coming from. They think that if we want to have a preseason, we just got to move the schedule back, right? Move move the start date from September 13th to October 13th or whatever that day may be to give us more time to get ready. Then you can have a preseason and go forward with that. Um, it seems a little weird to have a preseason. Like right now, I think we've canceled the first and the fourth week, correct? Mm-hmm. It'd be a little weird to have a preseason thrown right into the middle of a 48-day acclimation period uh, for all the players. Uh, who's really playing in those games? Is it is it Lamar? Is it you know Earl Thomas? Are these guys that are, that are playing, or is it the younger guys that are playing? Um, you know, pre, you know. Luckily for me, I enjoy the preseason because I get an opportunity to go out and show the rest of the league what I'm about, um, and that I can still play at a high level. But I have the luxury of having the history. Uh, that I have in the league to not have to play in the preseason. Whereas some younger guys who are coming in, they have no game footage that's on tape from an NFL game. And I think coaches really rely heavily on that. So I think that's why they want the preseason. Uh, and in talking to Coach Harbaugh, you know, he said, look, if there's no preseason, we'll just have scrimmages. And I think that's val- that's valuable as well. So it's just about doing the right thing, doing the smart thing at this point. If we're, if we're not even sure if the testing is going to be good enough for us, we're not sure – how many, you know, are we going to have to shut down after we start? We're not sure about a lot of things. So why have a preseason when we can kind of use those 48 days to get us ready for the season? Um, and then if you want to have a preseason, just move it back. What's your confidence level that we have a season? Oh, man, my confidence level, it's going downhill, I would say, just because of everything that's going on right now. I'm in Texas, so I'm in a, a hot spot. Um, I think I saw the other day there was 55,000 new coronavirus cases in America. 
and other countries who have opened up, like opened up their schools, they're, they're starting to do sports again. They're having like 20, 10 and five cases, new cases a day. So um, because of everything that's happening and you see the college sports that have gone back, I think Ohio State stopped, Clemson stopped, North Carolina stopped, and, and all these schools have had to stop because of COVID-19 outbreaks. Uh, it just makes you feel like, all right, now we've got 90 guys or possibly 80 guys coming to the same you know, facility from different states. Guys are 100% going to test positive for COVID-19 just off the jump without even being around anybody. Maybe you're just a carrier, maybe you're you know, asymptomatic and just how are we gonna manage all those things? So uh, my, my uh, confidence is going down about us having a successful full season. But at the end of the day, I know that as a pro, I have to be ready to roll. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. You, know, you got to be honest, there's a lot of money at stake for everybody, for the players, for the coaches, for the league, for organizations. So um, they're going to try to find a way to make it work. You just want to make sure it's safe. Do you see it from a standpoint? Because I, I agree when, when guys come back from all over the country for different teams, you're seeing it in other sports. Uh, and baseball is going through right now. Basketball is trying to get off the ground right now. And I'm sure you're paying close attention as everybody is to what's happening in those sports. You'll have people test positive, but then even though the NFL is not proposing a true bubble, you will be getting tested on a very regular basis. Um, and so once you kind of go through that reintroduction, the acclimation, intake period, whatever you want to call it, and then you're sort of back into a normal groove, guys are going to be getting tested on a regular basis. I would think that that would be a way to at least control it. Even though, even though then now you're playing football and that, you know, adds a whole other element to it. Obviously you're not social distancing in that sense, but do you see it that way or not? Um, let me put it this way. I, I'm all for us having a season playing football. Like, man, mm-hmm. this is what I was called to do. This, <laughs> it's a blessing. It's an honor to be in the NFL. I'm all for that. Having been on some of these calls and being, you know, intertwined with, with these sources, it's, uh, it, there's a lot of concerns, right? So one of the tests was um, obviously you do the the nasal tests and then they, they get that back within 24 hours. But what if they, if they don't get that back within 24 hours, but you're positive, well, you've been there at the facility all day and you've been, I know we're going to reduce the group somehow, but say there's a 20 guys there. Well, and all 20 of those guys were exposed to you before you ever found out that you were positive for COVID-19. Well, now all 20 of those guys have to go into the protocol as well if they're around you or within six feet for 10 or more minutes, which in football, we know that's probably going to happen, right? You're probably going to be around somebody for more than 10 minutes um, if they're positive. Um, so that's one issue. Another issue is the the temperature read, right? If you have a temperature over 100.4, you don't get to go in the facility. You don't get to participate that day. Well, you might not be COVID-19 positive. You might just have the flu. You, know, you might just have a, a high temperature that day. And all of a sudden now you're being you know, pushed away or isolated away from everybody else uh, so that you can't infect anyone, even if you don't even have anything. Um, so being being intertwined with all this information is just a lot of obstacles to overcome. And, you know, I think Philip Rivers asked a question. He said, uh, you know, what if you test positive the week of the Super Bowl uh, for COVID-19? Are you not going to be able to play? And the answer is no, you're not going to be able to play, right? You have to be isolated for five days, and then you have to test uh, negative for COVID-19 for two straight days. Well, I mean, unless you test positive on game day of the NFC or AFC championship game, you're not playing in the Super Bowl. And I think that's another issue that the league has to look at 
what do you do if 16 of the 32 starting quarterbacks aren't playing this week because they got caught positive for or had a positive COVID-19 test, right? You know, a guy like myself, I understand the value in, in having a, a second starter ready to go, especially this year with just how unpredictable COVID-19 is. And um, that's why they keep calling it a novel and emerging virus, and we're trying to adjust on the fly. So I know that's a lot of information and it's a lot of Debbie Downerism, but the, the, the point of it is there's a lot of obstacles and the players have to feel safe um, to go out there and, and feel like, you know, this is what they should be doing. So beyond COVID-19, uh, the, another reason we wanted to talk with you and beyond football itself is you've obviously been very vocal on social justice um, over the past month um, as our country is navigating through these times. I'm curious for you, you know, it seems like you've really found your voice in this process. And I'm, I'm curious, what is it, uh, what is it that has allowed you to do that? And um, what that has made you feel like this is a time to speak up and, and take a stance the way that you have? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think it's been phenomenal the way the world, and really, I do mean the world, not just the United States, but the world has responded to the injustices that that they saw on camera with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and uh, Breonna Taylor and the name goes the list goes on and on. So for me, I felt like if there if there was any time to truly uh, hold up that banner, you know, stand on the hill and and, and be willing to fight um, for for the rights of the black community. Honestly, I thought that there was no better time than now. Um, I feel like people are listening more. I feel like before you would be uh, shunned or told to just stick to sports um, if you said something. Uh, and for a guy like myself, I didn't want to. I didn't want it to be, you know, not genuine. I'm not here to try to speak up for somebody because it's going to get me kudos, you know, or, or street cred. I do it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. And before I'd done it silently, right? I've had my foundation for about five years now, and I did it silently by working in the communities and 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 you know being a, a community leader. And I felt like it was a time to, to not only do it silently, but also to be vocal about it. And I feel like you have to use your platform uh, in moments like these to try to in inspire change and really be the change that you want to see in the world, right? So that's kind of what inspired me to do that. Um, and I feel good about it. You know, I feel great about what I've been able to do with RG3 Foundation. And we've been able to raise funds by selling the bands that you guys are seeing and, uh, you know, the face mask and, and everything. And we don't want anybody to think that we're trying to profit off of tra off a of tragedy, right? I don't get a dime from my foundation. All that money goes back into the community and uh, we're trying to, you know, continue to spark and, and formulate relationships with, with initiatives that are going to help build up those communities that are in dire need, right? Um, you know, I've been thinking this thing since I was probably in, in high school where in America we have so many issues, right? We have so many uh, poor people, so many homeless people, Yet we send billions of dollars all around the world to help other people with the same issues that we're dealing with in our own country. And I think it's time for us to continue to help the rest of the world, but we have to fix the issues that are, that are right before us. Uh, I think that's uh, a way of trying to become above reproach, right? I can't tell you to go run, um, you know, a hundred meter dash if I'm not willing to go run a hundred meter dash. And I think that's kind of where um, that inspiration for me came from. Uh, with everything that's going on is just look man you you have to try to do the right thing in your own community uh and be vocal about it and not just be silent about it and work behind the scenes in order to tell other people 
to go help their community. What do, you, what do you think the next step is going to be? Uh, you know, because my, my concern is that there's a lot of, you know, public statements and, and this and that, um, you know, and I know the Ravens have committed, you know, a million dollars, Steve Bashotti and his foundation, and are actually going to find these causes and these nonprofits to, to uh, you know, further this. But I guess I just don't want to lose momentum, right? And, and so what do you see the, the next step as being from a player's perspective and, and where do you got to take this, this fight? Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest with you, you know, when I saw that, that, uh, Steve was, uh, you know, Mr. Bashadi was gonna, what should I say, Steve, he wants me to call him Steve. So <laughs> million dollars. I'm like, Hey, can, uh, can my foundation scoop a little bit of that? Cause we got some initiatives that we know, we know that that can really get some things going. And, uh, to your point, you know, all joking aside to your point, I do believe that, the momentum is the thing that gets things changed, right? It's not just about a public statement or a condemning of a certain way of thinking. You have to be active about that. So, you know, for a guy like myself, it is going out and formulating those partnerships and raising money and trying to get these these uh, programs in place. Uh, but it's also about getting legislation changed, right? A lot of it isn't just, uh, it, it is part of it is a people issue. The part of it is a systemic issue, right? We have things in place that create problems so we have to eradicate those first and the only way to do that is to go to your, is to go through the local first and state governments to get these practices eliminated right we've seen all these reform bills about you know police ethics and, and how police go about doing things but it's it can't be a political issue right it has to be look this is wrong let's change it right there's um you know i was talking to a police officer the other day and one of the things that people don't know or i think people don't know is that Police officers, when they pull you over for a ticket, right, that money goes back to the state, right? So it's a, that is a, uh, a money generating thing for the state of Texas, right? Call it for Texas. Well, that's going to lead to them trying to pull over more people, not just trying to maintain the peace, right? Uh, if I'm going 65 and a 60, typically I don't get pulled over, right? But there's more African-Americans and Latino-Americans who are getting pulled over going 65 and a 60. And it could be because that police officer needs to meet his quota for that month to bring in money for the state. It could be that if I was a, a Caucasian male that I, maybe I might not get pulled over going 65. Or if I am, I might get, get away with a warning. So there's certain practices that are in place that have to be eliminated. And that's just one example of it. Now, how am I going to convince the state to stop making money off of tickets? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. But it is something that needs to be talked about to figure out a way to make it actually be doing the right thing for the right reasons, not doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Um, so I think. Or profitable prisons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, in, in the war on crime, right? People that know their history know the war on crime saw the incarceration rate of African-Americans and, and people of color go through the roof. And our, our population uh, percentage in, in just America in general is very low, right? Somewhere between 13 to 17% of the population is African-American, but the prison population is over 50%, right? It's extremely high. Um, so why is that? Why are, are African-Americans who are committing the same crimes as white Americans being incarcerated at a much higher rate and getting longer sentences. Um, there, there's certain things, like you said, that we have to just admit it, right? You have to admit that there is a problem in order to solve the problem. 
And I think that's where that goes. It's not just about doing something in your community to bring the community together, right? It's about actually making change happen in ways that the community will see. Um, I think uh, there's, a, there's a, a school in Baltimore, City Springs, that I did something with uh, the Ravens last year for a back to school event, haircuts and, you know, backpacks and, and, and stuff. And if we were to go to that school and actually give them things that the students can see that is embarking change, right? As opposed to, hey, let's throw, uh, let's throw a block party and get everybody involved in the block party. What if we did throw the block party, but at the block party, we repainted the school. We gave them a new air conditioning. We gave them a new gym. We gave them a new, uh, you know, laptop laboratory for them to go to with I iPads so that they can learn at a, at a higher rate with, with technology that is more suited for today's learning than learning from the past. What if we do those things that they can actually see? That is going to embark change because sometimes people don't think they're worth anything because they're not given anything. Um, and, and so it's one of those things that you have to find a way to work through that and find a way to embark change in a positive way. And it can't just be words. It's got to be actions. So for you, I'm curious, has this kind of come as with age and maturity? You said earlier in your life and your career, you felt like you kind of did things silently. And, and this was a time where you felt like um, you needed to do things more publicly and be more vocal about it. Like, is that just part of a maturation process for yourself or, or what, what has led to like where we are today for you? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a couple things. I do think it is a maturation process um, just over the years, understanding things a little bit better. Um, but I also think it's, you know, it's, it's society, right? And, and I say that because uh, certain guys who have stood up and said something today would not have said that a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it's a sad reality that a lot of guys are, are afraid to affect their brand by saying something. And I, I think I said this earlier this offseason, and it was one of the things that, you know, led to me speaking up so much is that no brand should be based off of racism. No brand should be based off of uh, injustice or inequality. Now, that's not to say that some of the biggest brands in the world are just like, you know, pro-racism, pro-whatever. But if I'm sponsored by a brand and I feel, I feel threatened to speak up and say something that I know is wrong, because that brand is going to disassociate with me because I'm creating controversy, right? Or I'm, or I'm saying something that the majority of that brand's constituents are going to see as bad. Um, I feel like that was, that was part of it for me. And I feel like that was part of it for a lot of guys. They don't want to speak up and say anything because they don't want to affect their money. And I think that that, that has been eradicated and, and why it's been eradicated is because you see a lot of big brands, coming out and saying Black Lives Matter, coming out and saying these injustices are wrong. So players feel more comfortable coming out and saying things because now they know that, okay, this brand is behind me. Whereas before when we've had these discussions or if I talk with my agent, my agent's telling me, don't say anything about race, religion, or politics, mm -hmm. right? That's always been the case. So when you saw the brands come out and say it, the players are like, whew, okay, now I can say it. And I feel like that was a problem. And, and, and it's not a brand problem. It was just a, a, a human problem, right? Why would I be upset that players are kneeling during the national anthem, right? We live in a free country. 
You can kneel, sit, stand up and salute, put your hand across your heart, whatever you want to do. The soldiers, my mom and dad both served, they served 35 years in the military. They fought for your right to be able to kneel during the national anthem. They fought for your right to be able to bring awareness to social injustices. So why would that be a problem? It, is it because someone's line of thinking isn't in line with your with what you think? So they tried to hijack the message and say, he's kneeling and he's disrespecting the flag, he's disrespecting the soldiers, he's disrespecting this, that, that or the other, when that's not the case. So mm -hmm. I felt like it was a human problem and I feel like we're starting to eradicate some of those human problems, but we have to continue with the momentum. It can't just stop and just be words. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, 2017, when, uh, you know, Kaepernick, uh, you know, knelt and, and all that blew up and, you know, the London game with the Ravens and Trump's tweet and all that stuff happened. It was your year that you were out of the league. Um, you know, I think by reading between the lines of what you're saying here, uh, should we probably expect that you will be among the players that will be kneeling this year? Yeah, for me, I think it's, um, you know, I, I don't want people to feel like they have to kneel now, right? At some point when all the brands were coming out and saying things about it and you saw more and more players, it was more a thing of, well, why hasn't this player said something? Why hasn't this player said something? And I felt like, I don't, you know, not to name names or anything, I felt like some guys came out and said some, some things because they felt like they had to. Because if they didn't, society was going to look at them as, if you're being silent, then you're, then you're pro-racism or you're pro-injustice. So I don't want guys to feel like they have to kneel now because if they don't kneel, then people are going to look at them as if they don't care about the black community. Do whatever you feel like right in your heart. For me, I'll probably be kneeling, right? I'll kneel for a number of reasons. Uh, but most of all is that to show that being a military brat, being a guy that is embedded in the military community, this is not something that is offensive to the military. This is not something that is disrespecting the flag. Um, so that, you know, I'm, I'm all in. I've, I've, you know, I've been black my whole life. Like, I don't think that's a secret, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I've been working in the black community uh, since the day I, you know, went to high school, right? And I've always known to give back. Uh, it's just now that I've started to, to be more vocal about it be because of that maturation process and understanding the significance and in, in speaking up for it. Um, so I'll be kneeling. Um, and I'll be kneeling until we can, you know, figure out a way to actually embark positive change in the United States of America so that we can actually be the country that we've always wanted to be. Well, you, you talk you talk about brands. So I got to ask you the other hot take question here. You think the Redskins are going to change their name? <laughs> Come on, man. I am. <laughs> I am not with the Washington franchise anymore. But you know the Washington franchise. From a guy at ESPN who wanted me to come on and talk about it. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just, that's not my business anymore, to be honest. It's not my business anymore. Um, I hope they figure it out and, and do the right thing. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. we're hoping that we have a football season this year. Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's what else we're hoping for, and uh, we hope we get to see everybody out there on the field, and uh, that we get to have this conversation face to face at some point. I don't know when that's going to be, um, but hopefully we all get to be back in the building for training camp, and um, you know there's a football season on the horizon. 
So. Yeah, I think. I think. Wait, I gotta ask him one. I gotta ask him one football question here about himself. I feel like we talk to you about everybody else and everything else. <laughs> how, how are you? How yeah? How are you feeling, man? I mean, hey, man, you I, got you it, got. I, I see you talking about you're gonna be a starter. I mean, I I love it. Like the fire never dims with you, and that's what I love about you. I, I'm always ready. I think you guys know that, right? I, 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 whatever they need me to do, whether it's uh, you know start 16 games, start at 19 games, you know Super Bowl, whatever. <laughs> um, come in at the end of the game, handle. <laughs> start a game against Pittsburgh Steelers when they need it. When they need to win. We gotta dominate. You know, whatever they need us to do, we get it done. So for me, uh, I'll, I'll always um, that fire will always burn inside of me. I'm not going to show up to you know one winning drive ever and not be ready to roll. Um, if they, if I'm not trying to be the best that I can be or put my best foot forward, then I don't need to be playing. And that's kind of the way I look at it. I don't look at myself as a backup. Um, right now, I'm a second starter, but I know I'm a starter in this league. I uh, just go out there and prove it every single day. So when I step on the field, those guys know I am, you know, for lack of better words, trying to kick their ass. And, uh, you know, I'm not taking any friends out there. We can all be boys in the locker room with six feet distancing and, you know, masks on. But <laughs> when we get to the football field, uh, I'm coming for your neck. So uh, we, uh, for me, it's just about staying ready. I've been ready. I've been feeling great. I uh, feel like I'm throwing the ball extremely well and, um, you know, talk to Prochet, talk to Wesley, talk to, should I call him Tweezy? Talk to Tweezy, <laughs> talk to DuVernay. Um, you know, I feel like we've all had some some really good some really good sessions going and um, be ready to roll. Like you said, I, I, I pray that we're able to have a football season uh, this year, um, but I pray that it's uh, we're able to do it safely. You know, mm-hmm. and I think you see a lot of players coming out talking about some of the hypocritical statements that are going on, as in, you know, we can play a game. You can breathe on each other and sweat and hit each other, but you can't swap jerseys after the game. <laughs> I saw the jersey swap thing today. Yeah. That's too far. That's pushing it too far, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's where, where we're at right now. It's everybody wants to have a football season. We just got to make sure it's safe, you know? I was talking about some of the concerns. My concern, personally, is my family, right? I got a wife, three daughters. I don't want to come home and get them sick. You know, I don't, I'll never live with myself for that. And it's, uh, it's just a matter of doing the right thing for them. Um, if that means playing football, that means playing football. I'm here to provide for my family. I'm here to be there for my team. If that means, you know, not playing or we don't have a season because it's not safe, then uh, that's something that we just have to try to navigate through. Everybody else is having to navigate through it. Unemployment's at an all-time high. The stock market's up and down. You know, what's different for us as football players, as athletes? Yes, people want football. People want to see sports. But – um, I don't think that any of us should be guinea pigs thrown out there to see if it'll work. Um, we got to make sure that know that the guys will be safe. Because um, I don't think anybody wants us to start and stop. You know what right. I mean? I don't think anybody wants us to start up and stop because we did it prematurely. Uh, who knows what this virus looks like in October? Who knows what it looks like in a couple of weeks? But mm-hmm. what we do know is that we don't have a vaccine for it. It's novel and it's still emerging. And, you know, right now the United States of America has a huge problem with it. So. I would hate for on this call, you know, months or whatever away, one of us was to get sick and something bad was to happen to one of us. You know, why not try to do the right thing and and do the best thing and be cautious and be safe? Um, I think that's where we're at. We're at, it's just very uncertain times right now, guys. And like I said, hopefully we can do this interview in person. We can do some more stuff like this, you know, (laughs) like I asked you guys last year, but, uh, 
We'll see what happens. You never know. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, well, we it's good. It, it, it's good to catch up. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Much love. God bless. Well, really interesting, good stuff from RG3. I, I, dude, every time I talk to him, I always come away and being like, man, I like that guy. Just a pro's pro. Right. Yeah, Robert's great. Um, he's obviously like a very thoughtful person on a variety of different topics, football related, off the field. Um, and it's been interesting to see. I thought it was just interesting to hear him talk about his evolution um, from a public standpoint in terms of how he discusses sensitive issues. Um, and mm-hmm. it was just, it was, he's a really interesting guy on and off the field. And um, I also found it from a football standpoint, I, I was, I'm fascinated by the fact that he basically is saying he's okay not playing any preseason because those are like, that's valuable for him. Those are valuable reps. And he's got yeah. a lot of tape that's he, out there. He alluded to that. He did, but he, you know, like, it sounds like to me, based on what he's saying, like, um, you know, they are valuable to him, but all things considered, he's okay if he doesn't get those reps. Um, and like, there is a lot of tape that he's put out there, but still, I, I just would think that he would, he would be one of the guys who'd be like, we need these preseason games. But, but certainly he wasn't saying that it just, uh, it was interesting to hear that perspective from him. Well, I mean, knock on wood that this isn't the case, but I mean, I think it's also interesting. The the role of a backup quarterback is more important this year than ever with COVID. Right. Right. Because if if Lamar Jackson tests positive, you know, I mean, there's just a much higher likelihood. I mean, we sit here and everybody freaks out every time Lamar Jackson takes a hit because he could miss a game or, or get injured. I mean, now you got COVID lurking around the corner. People look at him playing beach football and freak out. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, had a collision, supposedly, in air quotes with a jet ski. What a bunch <laughs> of malarkey that was. Goodness gracious. He jumped over the jet ski. Calm down, everybody. All right? Just, uh, sorry. I just had to ran on that for a second. He jumped over the dang jet. A stationary jet ski you think is going to take out Lamar Jackson when he's breaking single-season rushing records? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, um, but I do think that the role of the backup quarterback in, R- in RG3's role is that much more important this year, you know, with so much uncertainty around COVID. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. And none of us knows what's going to happen, but I, I have complete faith that uh, Robert will be ready for whatever comes his way. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think overall just the depth of the team is, is obviously quarterback's most yep. important position on the team, but the depth, the this might be a season where the top, the, the team with the best 60 players, you know, practice squad included is what ends up winning. Yep. Uh, not necessarily just the top high end players, because you, you could certainly be in a situation where a starting offensive lineman or defensive lineman or pass, whatever, name the position goes down in a week and you have to play a couple of games without them. And, uh, yep. and having depth is going to be critical this year. So, um, I like the, know, ch- I like the Ravens chances in that scenario. I always yeah, got I mean, depth. Yes. I love the team. I've always saw the Ravens have had really good depth. Um, and, and that has never been an issue. Um, so I, I do, I agree with you. I like their chances in, in that case. So, all right. Can we also say we this? Up, can, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Can I say one more thing about RG3? One more I, thing. What else you got to say? And he kind of, he kind <laughs> of alluded to this. He kind of alluded to this, but can we, we should not forget that this guy beat the Pittsburgh Steelers who had one of the best defenses in the league last mm-hmm. year, led the league in sacks, turnovers, all that stuff. And he beat them with a, not all the starters on offense around him either. Yeah. <laughs> it no, was like at all. the Ravens JV squad 
JV squad versus the Steelers' top-notch defense, and the Ravens won with RG3 under center. Let's not forget about that. Yeah, totally agree. I, I mean, that was, I think, a big moment for him, too. And, like, that tape is much more valuable. When we talk about preseason, that tape yep. against the Steelers is much more valuable than anything that he would be totally. able to do in the, in the preseason. Maybe that's why he's feeling, hey, last time I was out there, looked pretty good. So yeah, I don't need exactly. to go out there for the preseason. Exactly. Let that tape hold. Um, all right, so let's talk about the most important thing, which is the Netflix draft, which we did last mm. last podcast. Uh, yes. The reviews are rolling in, and once again, it's a beatdown for me. A, a huge <laughs> That's victory. That's not even true. A huge once victory. Once again, that, you continue to lie and just distort the narrative. Here, here's just here's a, here's, an, here's an email. Dave Workmeister, you slayed Mank. Parks and Rec is the greatest show ever. You reached on making a murder, but you got Ozark, which is key, and you sealed the win uh, with Tiger King, which was a steal. Mink messed this up one. Mink really messed this one up. It might be his worst draft ever. He picked so many shows that started <laughs> hot and then just crashed. So that's one email. Uh, another one is it became laughable. It's become laughable to me how bad Mink is at drafts. It gets a little vulgar in the email, so I won't read the whole thing out here. But basically, he said, <laughs> "I won't read the whole thing." But it's become laughable. This is from uh, Charles Rothmeyer. So those are two of the emails I got. Okay. I mean, I've got probably hundreds, thousands more okay. saying the same thing. Okay. You, you, that's all you got. All right. Here's one from Arsto. I don't know. <laughs> but it's the guy. It's the guy. It's the guy. It's the guy who submitted the question about the murder. You know, the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. murder of, of Ravens. Murder of Ravens. Yeah, that guy. Murder of Ravens, yes. He signed, he signed. He said, love the murder question guy. <laughs> I love this guy. I love this guy. He said, hey guys, it's me, the guy who asked about calling uh, Ravens fans murderers. Loved the Netflix draft and had to chime in because I have incredibly strong feelings to share. BoJack is unequivocally the best Netflix original show of all time, so Mink wins by default. And even if I hadn't picked that, he says, Garrett lost by default for picking Making a Murderer. You, that was a bad reach. That was a bad, no, no. bad reach. Bad reach, yeah. No, that- then we got... Look at this guy. This guy on Twitter. This guy on Twitter. All right. He's got a great Twitter name. A hot dog is a sandwich. So obviously he's got credibility. He's got credibility off the jump. You, if you want to side with the hot dog as a sandwich, people, then you've got your own problems. I actually am against that. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but go, does, ahead. He, go ahead and go does, with your guy here. He says, just listen to the Lounge and Ryan Mink one Netflix draft. All caps. Hands down go ahead and read the other tweets that you got nah well i nah yeah exactly here's one actually some guy jason friedman who doesn't know what he's talking about some king of the north cool young lou ah lou doesn't know what he's talking about either actually just i think as we've been on the podcast i got another one that says instantly g downing 14 won the netflix draft office and parks and rec win so Another victory by me, hands down. The reviews are in. Uh, you can send us more emails on this to the lounge at ravens.nfl.net and just solidify the victory for me if it needs any, if anyone has any doubts. Uh, but go ahead and send in those emails. A big shout out to RG3. But before we go, passionate fans, winning traditions, and legendary toughness are why Ram trucks and, the, and Ravens football go hand in hand. When it comes to power, luxury, and technology like an available 12 inch Uconnect touchscreen, you can't find a better light duty or a heavy duty truck. Go to Ram.com to find your local Ram dealer, schedule a test drive, and experience everything that goes into making dependable Ram trucks. Great deals are going on right now, so shop online at Ram.com and get your new Ram truck delivered right to your door. 
So that's hey, can we for... can we both agree that Seinfeld is the best show of all time? Um, I don't know. I would actually like if you're if you're, are you saying comedy, you saying sitcom because I think The Wire is is maybe the best show of all time. Mm. Um, Breaking Bad, which obviously you got in your draft, oh, is I got is is a great one. Um, Game of Thrones is a great. So there's like a lot of if you're if you're just Simpsons? trying to talk sitcom. It's not better than The Office, so no. So The Office is the best. Seinfeld, no Seinfeld over The Office. I'm sorry. All right, you lose again. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you next week. We got some big time guests, and we're doing the International Pod. It's booked, baby. All right, so it's happening next week. International Pod. Make sure you tune in. We got Clayus Campbell coming down the pike. So a lot of good things happening. Make sure you tune in next week. Thank you.